Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to Impact the World. And in today's show, I'm in conversation with the wonderful Susie Miller. Susie's work spans many different areas. One of the things that she has been a real pioneer around is autism and looking at autism from a spiritual and an energetic perspective and working with parents and kids who experience autism. But perhaps the main focus of our conversation today and a big area of focus in Susie's work is integration. You know, we have all these different aspects in our personality, in our energetic selves, in our soul selves. And one of the keys that Susie has found to healing and to wholeness is when you start to have a much more loving and harmonic relationship with all of the aspects that exist inside us. So it was a real treat to get to sit and talk to Susie and be with Susie for a while. And I think you're going to really enjoy this show because sensitivity is really held and looked at in a deep way. You can find out more about Susie's work by visiting her website, susiemiller.com. As ever, we put all links in the show notes. And for those of you who write to us asking how you can support the show, the best way you can do that is number one, to enjoy it, we hope. And number two, if you're willing to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review, that would be fantastic. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Lee. So Susie and I are friends and we've known each other several years, but I feel that we got a little more acquainted with each other when we co-hosted a radio show with our friend Sandy Sedgbeer. And we did that for about a year with On Times. And I think we, we did a prior year where Jim Self was part of it too. So how, how far back do you and Sandy go? Oh, wow. Um, at least a decade or so. Yeah. Because Sandy and you worked together a lot with, with your work in the early days, I believe. Is that right? Um, she had uh, Children of the New Earth magazine. And when she had that magazine, I was writing a routine column for that magazine at that time. So, yeah, we've gone back quite a ways. Yeah. Dear friend. Well, and Children of the New Earth is, is one of the things I think about when I think about you and your work. And I want to read something that you have on your website. So... You write in your biography, as a seven-year-old child, I remember standing in the front yard, looking into the sky and confidently stating, I was waiting for the children to arrive. Now, most people say I'm waiting for the aliens or, I'm, you know, it's <laughs> like, so, so tell us about this, that at seven years old, you knew that you were waiting for the children to arrive. Yeah, that there's no um, un, there's no mental understanding of why I knew that or anything. Even when you read that, though, it's like everything on me kind of stood up again. But yeah, I just I did. I just had this sense that there was a population of children coming that I had something to do with, and I didn't know why. Um, I remember my mother's response when I said that. She's like, "Oh, go play with the kids in the neighborhood," you know, right. kind of thing. It's like, why are you looking up to the sky and thinking that kids are going to come that way? But 
it's, um, yeah, it really, uh, I, I felt that since I was very little, for sure. And was that, was that how you got led into traditionally working with kids originally? I think so. I mean, I'm a good Cancerian woman, you know, so I have that mother kind of instinct anyway. Right. So kids have always been something that I've, yeah, I'm so interested in and have a lot of compassion for them too, because I don't think very many people listen to them. Hmm. Um, and so that's probably what led me into becoming a speech language pathologist. Um, you know, just from the very beginning, just, you know, how can you communicate? And I remember really early on too, almost feeling like I didn't have my voice in the world. You know, I wasn't exactly sure how my voice in the world fit, fit into my family experience. Hmm. And so I think that was kind of a natural outpouring of, I want every child on the planet to be able to communicate yeah. so that they can be heard. Isn't it interesting that that's so often the case? Anyone who wants to give something to the world, it's often been oh. the area of their struggle or what they've had to overcome. Yeah. So, so can you explain what that role was? So you said a, 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 a speech pathologist. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I know that term, but mm -hmm. what, what, what is that? And what, what, what is that facilitating? Right. So um, a speech pathologist looks at any form of communication disorder or challenge so it can be anything from somebody who's mute and is literally not verbally communicating at all to somebody who has trouble saying certain sounds or somebody who has, um, it's any form of communication whatsoever and it's the clarity of that communication is what a speech language pathologist is actually looking for. So in, in my, some uh, speech pathologists end up working with adults, you know, with um, some type of stroke or something like that. But again, because of that good cancerian nature, I think I always kind of gravitated towards kids. Mm. So um, pediatric speech yeah. pathologist, right? Um, so hospitals and clinics and private practice and all kinds of schools, all kinds of different situations. Um, and really had this, I think, uh, this desire to work with the ones also that other people didn't think could get, could bring out that communication. You know, I was always really interested. Somebody told me that this kid just won't talk or this kid, I was the one that was kind of going, let me have him for a little while and let me see. I might not be able to do anything, but maybe I can, so. So I'm guessing some of that was knowledge that you had learned certain things that certain kids needed. But a lot of the time, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining you were having to figure things out and be a bit of a detective to try and understand the why someone was having the issue, but also get mm -hmm. creative as to how to help them yeah. bring their voice out in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, along with my speech pathology degree, uh, my minor was in psychology. Mm. So they actually flipped back and forth quite a bit. So, yeah, I was always interested in not just, you know, why is somebody having, well, not that they are having a challenge communicating, but why are they having a challenge communicating? And, you know, it was even really early on, um, again, it's, I knew that if a child felt comfortable, if a child felt loved, if they felt held and appreciated, they, of course, who doesn't communicate mm -hmm. under those circumstances, right? Um, but what happens when somebody can't do something, especially a child, there's usually a lot of fear from the parent or there's usually, 
you know, um, a focus on that inability. And so I, I really liked to, to, to turn that around and I still like turning that around. Um, as far as, no, what is the ability? Not what's the disability, because I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't shine when somebody's, you know, there to support them and love them and exactly. Them? Yeah. And who doesn't contract when there are a bunch of people like pressuring you, exactly. judging you, shaming you? Yeah. Who doesn't eventually cripple under that? Unless you're a natural rebel, which not yes. everybody is. So. Yeah. So, because I I know you at this part of your life, because mm -hmm. we're talking twenty something years ago. Mm -hmm. But I know you more from this incarnation where you're, you're working with people's spiritual lives, you're working with kids with autism, but you're coming very much from a spiritual and intuitive perspective as well as a learned perspective now. When did spirituality, <laughs> in whatever form it took for you or whatever name or label it had, what, what, what was it, an awakening for you around your spirituality? Yeah, it was a very distinct moment and it was... Uh, back in 99, and I was a pediatric speech-language pathologist, a little kid with autism that was new to my caseload, and I went to visit him at the daycare center. And when I walked in, you know, interesting little kid walking back and forth going, it's the millennium, it's 1999, and I'm, you know, through that speech pathology lens, I was thinking, oh, interesting little kid. You know, it's like I'm in my mental mind already yeah. wondering who he was. And, and he walked right up to me at that point. And I didn't know it at the time, but it's not common for kids with autism to make direct eye contact with somebody they've never met before. So he walked up to me, looked me right in the eyes, and he said, Master. And when he said, Master, I had this cascade of energy just run down through my body, which was new to a, you know scientifically minded speech language pathologist. And so I had that visceral experience and I just remember thinking, who's the master here, you know? And so I, you know, brought him to the back of the daycare center to work with him and sat down and, you know, in 1986, when I got my master's degree in speech pathology, autism was one in 10,000 kids. Mm. You know, now it's like one in 54. Mm. So. I didn't have a whole lot of education in autism. And so I took him back to the back of the daycare center, sat down against the door. I was just gonna give him some time to get used to things and for me to figure out what I was gonna do with them because I wasn't quite sure. And as he was walking through the that room, all of a sudden I saw his light body floating above his physical body. So it's little cherub of a kid, four-year-old, bowl haircut, big brown eyes. And all of a sudden, there's this same size, but light version floating up above him. And there was a little tail that hung off his foot, the light foot, and went right down in, and it just dipped into the heart space. And that was, and so I'm rubbing my eyes and wondering what the heck I'm seeing and what I'm, you know, what is this? And of course, the natural tendency is to say, you know, what is that? And as I said that to myself, I heard this little boy's voice in my head, he said, that's my light body, you're here to put my light body back into my physical body. Mm. And so um, he took me through a year long process where he did just that. He came to me through telepathic communication, he came to me through dreams, he would send messages in all kinds of ways, and he would ask me to do certain things. 
um, and, you know, bring color, bring sound, you know, use my voice, um, ground him out energetically. There were all kinds of different things that he asked for. And I did that over the course of the year. And at the end of that year, he was verbally communicating. Hmm. And during the whole year, I kept saying to him, can I tell your mom about this? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I'm supposed to be your speech language pathologist, you know? So I was in a weird zone and- Because um, there were also rules and regulations totally, around- Totally, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. And so, and every now and again, like I would, I literally would pretend to be a speech language pathologist. You know, I'd flip right. the cards. I would, I would do whatever I knew from my, my educational background to facilitate his communication. But he kept asking me to do something else. And most of it was energetically involved. Um, sometimes, like I said, it was bringing tuning forks or colored scarves or different things like that. And as we did that, you know, like I say, at the end of that year, he was verbally communicating. And towards the end of the year, he said, now you can tell my mom. Wow. And so by the time I told her, it was really beautiful because she said, I knew something was going on. You know, I knew something was happening. Um, and he was altering her, you know, about at the same time. So she was having her experience and I was having mine. And we finally got to kind of collide in the middle, or I mean, at the end of that time together and uh, compare notes about how amazing her kid actually was. Okay, so we're talking about <laughs> this in 2020, and most of the people who will tune into this show um, will be kind of down with all this stuff, mm -hmm. or, or yes. at least be kind of open to it. But yeah. in 1999, you're a traditional mm -hmm. pediatric speech pathologist. Mm -hmm. Was this normal to you? Like what, what oh, was God, going no. through your head? No. If, so this wasn't normal for you. So what, no. how were you processing that? Not very well at yeah. times, honestly. I mean, there. what was so interesting about that time is, you know, if you have an experience like that, at least when I have unusual kinds of experiences. I mean, you're just so blown away by the experience totally. and by, uh, you know, I had this perception of this child as needing my service. And yet he was going to tell me how to support him. You know, he was going to ask me. And so I, you know, it, w it was really challenging, I got to say. Um, and it was probably more challenging because of all the other kind of skills that were opening up at the time. So on the one hand, I had this inner world that was quickly opening, 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 and I was still in that speech pathology world for a little while anyway, where um, I was trying to speak to people about what I was having an experience of, and I had three heads, yeah. you know, and and not only that, what I really noticed early on was there was almost like a, of course, 99, you know, people are different now and they're more awake and yeah. aware to these possibilities. I talk to people all the time who are professionals now. But back in 99, it's true. It's like they would just kind of glaze over and they thought I was, you know, lost the plot, so to speak. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, but there was, there was an awful lot changing in my inner world. It was, I always say it was like he put the key in the lock and turned it. Yeah. And once he did, so many skills, so many awarenesses, so many things were coming full force, um, even to the point, I mean, I was changing so drastically. I was married at the time and I was changing so drastically that, you know, my 
husband then was, uh, he didn't understand what was happening to me, didn't understand why I was talking about what I was talking about. Um, so it was, it was a, it, you know, when they say you have that awakening and everything changes, it, everything changed. Yeah, everything yeah. changed. I mean, it can be. It, I mean, it can be brutal, and I th and I think it's important <laughs> to say that because it's not brutal for everybody. Some people's awakening is much more harmonic, or mm -hmm. comes at a point in their life where it, it essentially rescues or frees them yes. from another brutal mm -hmm. reality that they mm -hmm. might be living. But for a lot of people, even when they have a good start to it, I think the identity shift it propels you into your right. your identity to yourself and your identity to the world. Yeah it can really kind of capsize you. So your husband at the time was, how, how were those conversations? Like, were you speaking to him just very freely about it as if he would know? Understood. Or did you know that you were talking about something that was going to be challenging? Well, it was interesting because he has a background in metaphysics and mm. things like that because he was raised with a mother that was, you know, like that. When he married me, I wasn't like that. I was the opposite of his mother, right? I think I became his mother We attract those places <laughs> so where true. we need to work things through. Yeah. But so yeah, no, he um so he had a he had a level of understanding about that. But I think again, anytime somebody's going through a big shift in their own reality and that reality is having an impact on somebody else's reality. I think it's natural to kind of go, you know, what does this mean for me? You know, what does this mean for our relationship or the dynamics of, you know, um, I, we had, yeah, we were, we looked like the nice little couple with four little girls and, you know, everything looked pretty. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden I'm talking about things that were not normal to talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and yet were so real to me. Yeah. So real. And bless his heart. I mean, there were nights I, I can't fault him at, in any way, shape, or form. It's like he's an amazing human being. And he, um, I just remember like literally waking up in the middle of the night and there would be, um, there was a, at one point there was a, uh, a being that came in and started teaching me or a guide, whatever you might want to call it, that was teaching me like a, a language of light. Mm. And but literally, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, lying next to him, and I'd sit up, and that one would be at the end of the bed teaching me, you know. So I mean, you can't fault him at all for no. <laughs> for thinking, wow, this is really, yeah. Because these experiences that you're describing are an aspect of your way of seeing and experiencing the world that I have known about you since the day yeah. I met you. But if I if I were married to you, and yes. that was not, yes. you know, that was, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so no, that's that's really fascinating, and yeah. and it's interesting, Susie, because this makes me think, you know, this morning just prepping for today, going over some things on your website, there was something that kind of pricked up my ears. One of the things that you do, I mean, there are many different ways that you work with people, but a sentence caught my attention: you work with individuals attempting to integrate heightened spiritual experiences <laughs> secondary to an awakening. And I'm, yes. I'm listening to yes. you share this and I'm like, okay, you've, yes. you've walked this path. Mm -hmm. So because I think it can be very, um, very disarming, this experience, and I think it's great now in the world, there are more voices around consciousness, more different methods around consciousness, more teachings around consciousness, but still, when someone comes to you who might be in the state that you're describing that you were in, in a way, um, how do you go about helping facilitate them so that they can 
ground and land? Like, what are some of the ways that you, you work with somebody? I think um, there's, there's actually a lot of, um, I'm going to call it inner aspect work, because, you know, we... Any, you know, we can have these big experiences. You know, people have amazing experiences all the time. They go and do an ayahuasca ceremony or they go and do some, something people are having. They go to a workshop, right? And they have some big experience. So having the experience is one thing and having a place for it to actually land and become part of your reality, become part of your skill set. Um, in a way that it can benefit others, that's, that's another thing. And what I found is that a lot of the reason why those energies don't land is because there's all kind of imprinting or, let's say, um, conditioning that doesn't give it a place to land, mm. right? So, like, when you're a magical child... And, you know, you come in, I, this actually happened in my household, you're a magical child and you come, your daughter comes in and she said, mommy, I can fly, you know, and, you know, you can, I can say, oh my gosh, show me, show me how to fly, you know, she's jumping on the bed and that kind of stuff. More often than not, it's more like, no, you can't fly. No, that's, go back to bed. Just, I'm, I'm tired. Leave me alone. Go back to bed, right? And no fault of the parent whatsoever. It's just, it's life, Right. But in that moment, that, that expansiveness that we are as children just got shut down, right? And so when we have an expansive experience and we try to put that expansive experience back into our reality, it's bumping up against those places where that magical child has gotten shut down, yeah. right? And so we, so a lot of that work initially is you know, what are our belief systems? What is our programming? Um, where do we see ourselves as limited or we've been conditioned to believe that we're limited? And where do we actually have the capacity to hold this vastness that we just had an experience of, right? And so to me, it's, it's a negotiation, you know, between the mind, body, and spirit. You know, it's, um, and... And it's just that. I mean, it's it's not a cookie-cutter kind of experience. A lot of the people that I work with um, are trying to integrate really big experiences because a lot of people who are, I will say, um, have had their share of early wounding, right, are also the ones that have this impetus to something more. You know, they're they're desiring something beyond the limitations that they've experienced. And so they're, they have a propensity to have this big, you know, experience. But again, what do they do with that? So we have a lot of conversations and it goes energetics. It's working with some of those inner children. Um, and it's a very unique approach for each person because everybody, everybody ultimately needs to feel held and honored and loved in the process because just like we talked about earlier, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna bring themselves to that fruition, to that fullness without that. One of the things that you and I speak the same language around is that, is the inner community. And I remember when I first heard you talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, because one of the things I've noticed with any transformation that we go through is the epiphany or the big vision 
or the spiritual high is actually the easy part. And it's often the part that seduces us in. And I know many of us get spiritually addicted, like certainly in the early years. I know when I was going back to self-growth workshops time and time again, I would be kind of disappointed. It's like, oh, this was kind of a crying one. You know, I much <laughs> preferred the one where I met like someone who was my old soul friend and had all these but actually what I came to learn and understand was the ones where I was crying for three days mm -hmm. were actually far more powerful in a way because what I was doing was I was making room and shedding and healing. And, and, and you, you just referred to it as our inner children, mm -hmm. which was a concept I think I first had explained to me about 12, 13 years ago. And it was, it was really life-changing for me, this idea that the aspects inside us that just need love mm -hmm. or attention or care or healing, that they can come with us. Because in my earliest years of spirituality, I was very much taught, as I think many of us were like 20 something years ago, that you have to heal it, get over it, overcome it, yeah. not think it. You know, yeah, there was yeah. definitely that or way of thinking. Just, just be happy. happy. <laughs> you better be positive. And, and actually, there's something really powerful in being able to deeply care for that inner child that is wounded on the day that that comes up, but often in direct proportion to a new dream or a new venture or a new goal. And I think when you understand that process, it makes transformation something you can be a real ally of rather than... Yeah but I was so happy three days ago and I was going towards my goal. Why am I upset now? Well, it's kind of logical because there's a part of you that feels a bit too upset to let it in or to yeah. allow it in. And so this concept of inner children, is that something people grasp quite quickly? Or does it tend to be that if, if you're working with someone who's very new to spirituality or self-development, the concept of inner children is, is a strange one for people to get their heads around? Um, I think for people who are brand new to it, it would be a strange one. I have a tendency to have, you know, uh, a clientele that, you know, are kind of, they've already have some level of that awareness, um, not necessarily about inner children, but that there's, there's more to their in the moment experience than just that moment. You know, that, that this experience, this trigger or this, this energetic pattern that's coming up over and over and, in their lives, at some point, people will say something like, why is this happening to me? Why is this, you know, just rotating through my life over and over again? And usually that's the time when somebody will show up with me and we have a conversation about the fact that this pattern that's playing out in this moment has really very little to do with this moment. It has much more to do with a, you know, a need or or something that just didn't get met really early on. And so we know that in our early childhood, we have all kinds of moments of fight, flight, freeze. You know, there's, and in the moment, we, we have that fight, flight, freeze, and then we seem to get over it, and it just goes on. You know, we just go on, and little kids usually um, appear anyway that they don't hold on to too much of that stuff. But we, we begin to notice what we have held on to as we mature because certain patterns come up that remind us of those early fight, flight, freeze responses. And so when I start talking to people about that and give them some personal experiences of that, you know, show them the way this moment with their husband or, and maybe that, 
you know, walking out the door and maybe that brings about abandonment, that that's, mm. that's an energy that um, probably you can trace back to other times in your lifetime and start talking to people about that and they'll go, oh yeah, I do have this pattern of abandonment. My boyfriend did that and my, you know, you know, I remember having that feeling with my father, you know, it's, it just goes back to those kinds of things. But when we actually start going back and speaking directly to that child, directly to that aspect, and um, and supporting them, you know, the grown-up Susie supporting the little Susie in that moment, yeah, yes, this is coming up, and yes, this is, I'm here with you, I'm present with you, I'm holding you, I've got your back, you know? The minute I, you know, we start sharing that with those parts of ourselves, those parts of ourselves starts start giving the, I call it, it's like the, the magical gifts of the child, right? It's like all of a sudden it's where, yeah, something magical can happen because the child now feels comfortable, confident, adding its energy to our current experience instead of trying to protect us from that, you know? And we know that if we're in protection mode, we're not fully creating, we're not fully alive, we're not vibrant, um, we're not even curious mm. in many ways. Mm. But if we give ourselves the opportunity to go back and, I mean, I've had so many experiences myself using this method. I mean, one thing I have found is that um, I just, I've never been able to facilitate anything in anybody else that I haven't had to embody myself. And um, so that goes with the integration of kids with autism. It also goes with any of the emotional energy that's playing out in any integration. Um, and I just notice when I do it, when I actually apply it in my own life, it's like, wow. I mean, it's like something shifts in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, and I love teaching people that process so they're not reliant on me you know, yeah. get them to the place where they're actually doing that themselves. And then they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll move into their own integration. Yeah. And it's lovely because even in hearing you speak about this, you're already integrating at some level if you're in a position where you can talk about, oh, this mm -hmm. part of me is feeling abandoned rather than you're in toxic relationships yes. where you are constantly, yes. repeatedly abandoned. Like if I look at my own trajectory, yeah. a lot of the toxic stuff I was playing out in external relationships at a certain point moved in. And yes. it's like, oh, now we have to heal it here so yes. that we don't keep mirroring it here. I always think that's a, that's a great place to reach, but it can, it can sometimes be more uncomfortable to your mind, which can be more comfortable with the black, white victim perpetrator. Yeah. Oh, they did this thing. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm doing this thing. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a more complex way of working. And, you know, I really, I see it from the, the inner landscape is always informing the outer landscape, mm -hmm. right? So in my world anyway, those patterns that we have um, are not simply because they're showing up in the outer landscape for, you know, to, so that we feel or integrate. I think that they, they originated in the inner landscape and they've been broadcast out into our life experience. And we're, and we're, we're, we're bringing forth those kinds of experiences, not as a punishment or anything else, but just to, I, I honestly think we're bringing those forth as love. I think that's an, 
because every human being on this planet has integrated and unintegrated aspects of themselves. And every single person on this planet is, uh, let's say, um, broadcasting that energy of what needs to be integrated and what has already been integrated. And that's the life that we live. So the moment that that person shows up in our lives and we get, oh, I'm triggered or I'm angry or, oh, here it comes, you know, that all these strategies start popping up. We (laughs) move into overdrive and control or whatever. Again, to really begin to, to teach people that that very moment, that very moment is a gift from our totality as well. That very moment is the moment that we get to say, huh, there's something that needs my attention. There's something that wants to be heard or held or, and the minute we turn it just for a second and do that, you watch all of a sudden those patterns start going away. There, there's no reason to, um, there's no reason for them to be there anymore because the totality is just trying to return to the totality. The essence is just trying to return to the purity of that essence, right? Yeah. So, and it just, one of the things I think all the time, it just amazes me. It's like, got what, 7 billion people on this planet and it's working the same way for every single person on this planet, right? That life experiences is showing them the unintegrated and integrated aspects of their personal reality, their cultural reality. It's, it's really, um, blows me away all the time. It's fascinating. So... What you're speaking about, I think many people watching or listening to this show will have either a deep knowing and awareness mm-hmm. of or a, big, an, a, a new knowing and awareness mm-hmm. of. Otherwise, they probably would have turned us off a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious, how, how can we cultivate more of that presence? Because I, I seem to be innately wired to mm-hmm. track process. Right. It seems to be part of how I function in the world but I know I've got better at it the more I've given myself to this work and the more I've allowed myself to see and feel and sense. But how, if I was watching this and I'm listening to you and I'm like, well, that sounds great, Susie, but I'm really busy. I've got three kids. I've got a very distracting thing going on at work. I've Mm -hmm. got how, you know, how do I get ahead of letting it all play out in the external pattern when I don't have time to be present? Like, is there any advice you could give? Well, I always smile at this question, Lee, because we know our lives. You know, we know that when we when we say, I'll deal with that tomorrow, I'll deal with that tomorrow, <laughs> I'll deal with that tomorrow, gets bigger and bigger and bigger, yeah. right? You know, and so life has a way of bringing us back to those things that we need to be present to anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a matter of trying to figure out how, well, there are some options, there are some abilities, there are some capacities to be present, and I'll talk about those. But I think that we are all kind of pushed one way or another, forced in some ways to be really present to aspects of ourselves that mm. we haven't been present to before. And especially, you know, kind of just in these times right now, too, it's like so much is compressed right now, so so much more is coming up. So we're, and I think it's beautiful because we're all getting, we're feeling things that we've never felt before. Yeah, we're, sure. we're getting to places. Um, so, but what I, what I tell new people to me all the time is very first thing, when we have um, this idea that feelings, like we're supposed to have this feeling and not that feeling, 
if, if somebody just understood that, that the feeling that you're having that's anger or the feeling that you're having that's deep sadness, that that's a real and valid feeling, mm. just like a feeling that I'm having that's elation or joy or whatever. This whole idea of the way we've been conditioned to believe that certain feelings are good and other feelings are bad, no, you know, it, it's all energy in motion. And what do we do with that energy in motion? Do we fight, flight, or freeze it? Or do we allow it to move? Do yeah. we allow it to move through? And so sometimes, I mean, there have been a lot of clients that sometimes just giving somebody permission to feel absolute rage, you know, and, you know, just giving them permission and the tears start coming, which is really lovely. Um, you know, sometimes, especially with kids with autism, like if they're they're acting out some of that mm. emotional energy, you know, worry, concern, fear that's so natural in any household, you know, of a child diagnosed with autism, but they're really good at acting that out. But when we go to the mother and we say, okay, where's the grief? Where's the sadness? Where's the, oh, I can't feel that. I got to be strong for my kid or I've got to, you know, and you completely can understand that. And at the same time, it is very much the holding of that energetic pattern that they are seeing reflected mm -hmm. in their highly aware and highly sensitive child who's just brilliant at reflecting that stuff, right? So again, it's like this first moment of just recognizing that, you know, how can we fight with what is? That emotion that's coming up, you might not want it to be there, but yeah. it is what's there in that moment. You're already being present to it. You don't have to think about being present to that feeling because you're that's right where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned autism here and you know that's been such a huge part of your work and also an area that you've really pioneered in mm -hmm. over the last decade and more. And my experience of autism is quite localized, but it was to um, I had this amazing opportunity to work with this young boy, Johnny, who is, is now a young man and an amazing artist. And I love seeing his life from a distance because he's still in England. But um, I was one of many people who were trained to work with him by his mom and by one of his support workers in a certain method that was designed to encourage connection. And mm -hmm. so he was, I think he was six when I was working with him and it was 15 years ago. And I worked with him for a year, a year and a half, once a week for a few hours. It was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And I remember at the time I had just begun channeling. Mm -hmm. So it was the two year <laughs> period where I was channeling for the public, not just personally. So there was a two year period where I was part time doing my sessions and part time doing a couple of other jobs. And Johnny was one of those. And I remember his mom asking me to do a channeling for her. And mm -hmm. she had some questions about Johnny. And one of the things that came out was how he was a teacher for all of us. Yeah. Now, I completely understood that when I read the channeling, but now all these years later, mm -hmm. I understand it in an even deeper way. Mm -hmm. And you are somebody that I then met years later and who has been working with the consciousness of kids. Now, one thing you said earlier that struck me, you said that it used to be one in 10,000 kids with autism and now it's one in 54. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge increase. So... I guess I'm curious from your perspective, the very important role that autism is playing in our society right now, what are some of the core 
messages, teachings, mm -hmm. learnings that the kids are here to impart to those of us who perhaps aren't quite as far along the spectrum as they are, because we're all on the spectrum. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I'll, I can tell you what I was told by them. Yeah. So, and what that was, was that <clears throat> they said that we had, humanity had actually called a new type of human to the planet and a human that was more intuitive um, and so more intuitive, but also males who are intuitive, right? Yeah. So, and it was really interesting because, you know, you see these kids coming in mass, the, they are mostly males who are diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting to me is they would say, okay, you called us and and you called a higher frequency. You called a higher frequency to the planet. So that higher frequency, anytime we bring a higher frequency to anything, whether it's ourselves in a big spiritual experience or a bunch of souls that come and end up with a diagnosis of autism that are also that broader perspective, that brings up the, that brings up the shadow, that brings up mm. the other parts of us that can't hold that higher frequency, right? So you've got all of these kids, one in 10,000 at first, and then one in 54. And so you have a huge population that's holding a very, very high vibrational frequency. That high vibrational frequency is very challenging to integrate. But from a soul perspective, we asked for those souls and um, are blessed by them, as far as I can mm. see. You know, we are really blessed by their presence here. And... And when any one of those kids does fully integrate, does fully integrate, and that means different things for different children, but when they integrate, that really does impact humanity in a huge way. That's taking a very high refined frequency and bringing it right down into the mental, emotional, physical ability of a human being. That goes out like a nova wave in waking people up and I don't think that it's by chance, honestly, that the vast majority of these kids started coming in in the 90s. You know, that's where we really got that. Yeah. That's really started to come full force. And now we're living in a human experience where a lot of the shadow stuff is coming up from the underground, right? Both in ourselves and yes. um, in the collective. And so when I look at it, if I looked at it just strictly through energetic eyes, vibrational eyes, I would say that they have played a significant role in, in amping up the frequency mm. of the planet so that the, pre, the planet could no longer engage in some of those more shadowy kinds of experiences. But if you talk to any parent of a child diagnosed with autism, they'll tell you the same thing. Mm. They, there's a natural, um, there's a natural pull to grow in your own spiritual awareness, in your own awareness of what you actually are beyond the, you know, the constructs of what we're supposed to want to have and do and be and that kind of thing. You, you talk to any of them and it happened to you too, working with this kid. It yeah. happened to me, you know, it's like, and over and over again, it's like they draw something from you. Um, and we all think that we're, we are helping them, but it's also, there's this, their frequency alone is doing something to us. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So that makes sense to me. The uh, how the, in a way, the gravitational pull mm -hmm. of the of the of the of all of these kids with the higher frequency because it's very similar to when you as an individual immerse yourself in higher frequencies you're yes. going to bring up all the lower parts for healing so it's that that makes total sense to me it's exact yeah it's exactly what happens when you have like some big spiritual experience it yeah. goes that's why this is all interconnected mm -hmm. so that big spiritual experience brings up all of that shadow information within you right same thing you've got a bunch of kids who function in a very high frequency and honestly so high in some cases it's really challenging to get that integrated so so that the body is functioning fluidly or so that the mental um, information is going down to the body um, but but there are ways to actually to support that and to integrate that and um, and the more that happens, um, I had one little kid a long time ago say, um, your job is to get the avatars here. Mm -hmm. And he meant them. <laughs> so, yeah. Which goes full circle to when you were seven in the garden. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The ones I was waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know you have a couple of different things that you do each month. You have your monthly energy session mm -hmm. and you also have the children's sanctuary. I, I loved the, the name, the children's sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's really, it's a once a month energy call that we're looking at whatever topic is appropriate for that month um, around the kids, you know, what they might need and or what those that are supporting them might need yeah. in that moment, because it really is a dance between the two. It's not one or the other um, getting better and then everything's right. It's really this this dance. Um, parents are usually doing the grounding work right? The children are usually doing the higher frequency kind of pull to the spiritual work. Mm. And so when that starts dancing together, there's really a capacity to integrate both. Mm. Yeah. So that's that once a month. And then the monthly energy session is? The monthly energy session is currently weekly. Oh, very good. <laughs> and the only reason it's currently weekly is because of, you know, what's going on in the world and very that kind good. of thing. But again, it's the same kind of thing. It kind of takes a pulse on what the energetic climate is right now. And also, you know, what kinds of things can we integrate in that moment? And it's been, I've actually really enjoyed it, having the weekly, because it gives me also the focus of, okay, this is what I can focus on for the next week. Yeah. And this is what I can get integrated in that seven day period. And then I can come back. And so um, I'm, I'm, really enjoying that one myself. That's great. Yeah. So if we were to kind of close this conversation where we began, mm -hmm. we'll go back to 1999. Mm -hmm. Susie Miller in 1999 gets to flash forward to Susie Miller in 2020 and everything she's doing. How does 1999 <laughs> Susie Miller, pediatric speech pathologist, feel about this world that you now get to be in and serve and play in and learn from and teach from? I, oh, wow. You know, it's honestly the 99 version of Susie, I think, would be, could not comprehend where the 2020 version of Susie is, honestly. Um, if I could go back from the 2020 Susie to the 1999 one, I think I would really, I would talk to her about that everything that she was feeling, everything that was coming up in that moment 
was real and valid and it was moving to something greater, I could remind her of that and allow her to to really feel what she was feeling because there was so much of that coming up at that time. Um, but if she's looking forward, she's got really wide eyes going, are you sure? <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Susie. Thanks, I love Lee. how you impact the world. I love how you impact my world as a friend and thank you for sharing everything with us today about your work. Thanks, Lee. And if you want to tune in more on Susie, you can find everything that she does at susiemiller.com. And as usual, we put the links in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Impact the World. And if you want to go deeper and more in depth with my work, you should check out my members group, The Portal. You can find it at my website, leeharrisenergy.com or visit theportal.world. <laughs>